I am going to stay true to my uh, announcements this morning and bring to you a message that I have called, Who Crucified Christ? I want to uh, encourage you to uh, get a message that I preached some time ago. I'm not sure if it's on our website. If it's not, we'll try to get this on our website for you. Or you can get a CD of it here. The title of that message is just simply Gethsemane. Gethsemane. It is a message about Jesus in the garden praying to the Father and finally coming to the surrender of not my will but thine be done. I've listened to that message again myself. I believe that it's a powerful message anointed of the Spirit of God and it will say some things to you about this message today is the reason that I'm recommending it. I'm not trying to sell CDs. In fact, I don't even think we charge for them. I don't know if we change that or not. It <laughs> doesn't matter. I'll guarantee you one thing. You won't pay nearly as much as it's worth when you get it. So, <laughs> so, so that's important, I think, to, to, to that, that the continuity of the teaching of the Word of God. If we want to grow in Him, it's important. So <clears throat> this morning my message is, Who Crucified Christ? In the 19th chapter of the Gospel according to John, this is beginning at verse 16. The scripture says, So he, Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Let this be a time, O Lord, when your word goes forth with mighty anointing, with power, unction of the Holy Spirit, so that glory can be brought in our lives because of understanding truth, which will draw us nearer to you. I believe you, Lord, for your great and powerful and mighty anointing. And your anointing is upon this church and is upon your servant. And I ask that the anointing to preach and speak and the anointing to hear and understand will prevail among us today as the Holy Spirit speaks us and leads us in Jesus' name. Who crucified Christ? It's been a question asked for the centuries and it's been a question debated. First of all, let me tell you who did not. No matter how much you may have heard that the Jews are responsible for crucifying Christ. The Jews as a people are not responsible for crucifying Him. Not then and not now. There is an institutionalism that prevailed within Judaism at that time that was responsible for Jesus being crucified. The leaders of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious governing body, especially leaders of the, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, effectively put into motion opinions and events that would lead to the death of Jesus. But as far as the, as far as the multitude of the people 
were concerned. They still looked with favor and even awe upon the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. And, and while Jesus spoke against the people who were doing wrong in religious leadership, he didn't speak against the law because he said he came to fulfill the law. He didn't speak against the temple because he kept going to the temple. And even after his death and resurrection, his disciples kept going to the temple. So he didn't teach or preach against that. But the leaders of the religion of the Jews were highly responsible in a, in a degree. And the hierarchy of religion is still a problem today. You, you hear people talk about religion has caused wars and religion causes strife. Well, I won't, deny, I won't deny that religion does do that. But relationships with Christ nullify all of that. If somebody's following Jesus instead of following a religion, those kinds of difficulties and conflicts don't prevail. So we will not say that the Jews as a nation crucified Jesus. There are those who say Pontius Pilate crucified him. He had a part in it, certainly. He tried, and I believe he sincerely tried, to release Jesus. But the leaders, now the leaders of the Jews, had put together a mob. And that mob mentality was what cried out and concerned Pilate, believing that that was a popular opinion. See, when the people cried out, when Pilate said, well, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called your Christ? And, and uh, the people cried out, crucify him, crucify him. That wasn't all the people of Jerusalem. It was the Passover, so people had come in from everywhere. It wasn't even the majority of the people. It was a mob mentality that the high priest and those who were entrenched with him for their own financial gain fostered among them. So they spread that out for that mob mentality. You understand mob mentality. We see, we see the consequences of it every day, today, in the news, in the paper, on TV. You see, just because a thousand people gather somewhere to holler and yell and scream against something, or for something for that matter, it doesn't matter whether against it or for it, doesn't, usually it doesn't matter whatever the mob decides their leadership tells them to do. Just because they come and they cry out against something, for something, doesn't mean that's what the majority of the people want. That's what gets on TV. That's what the guy that's yelling and screaming and fomenting at the mouth gets, on the, gets his picture on TV. That's what he wants. But... That's not what everybody, if just because you get a thousand people together in Clay County to holler out something and scream for something, doesn't mean the people in Clay County are for it or against it either. I'm telling you, there's a mob mentality that prevailed at the time that Jesus was being unlawfully and illegally tried. Pilate came under submission to that, but uh, I'll tell you more in, shortly as to why he wasn't responsible for the death of and the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm going to shock you with some of the things that I'll say this morning, maybe, but then when you see the scripture, that shock will abate. So don't let the first impression stay with you. Just follow me and stay with me and let me present all of this to you. Because the terminology that I will use may be something that you're not accustomed to hearing. So I'm going to tell you, first of all, that God the Father was responsible for crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Very clear in the scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Reconciling the world in the effect of his sacrifice 
on the cross of Calvary. And again and again, the message is that God was a participant. God the Father was a participant in the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. I'll go on quickly to tell you it is also true that Jesus is responsible for his own crucifixion. You will find again and again throughout the record of the Gospels that Jesus told his disciples, warned them, tried to prepare them for what was coming. And on several occasions, I would even say numerous times, Jesus told them that he would suffer at the hands of cruel and evil men, that he would be persecuted. He made it clear to him that his death was coming. It was out there, and he let them know this was happening. He knew that that was the plan of God the Father for him in order to be able to reconcile the world back to God. In fact, Jesus said in the 10th chapter of, of uh, the Gospel according to John, and I'm going to give you this now in the sequence of the times and the occasions that I believe Jesus said these things. This is the signally important thing that I want to bring to you. I told you who was not responsible, and I only touched on those who are commonly thought of as being participants in the crucifixion of Christ. I mentioned very quickly that God the Father is, but everything that I say from now on is also going to substantiate that God the Father was responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus. It's also going to substantiate that Jesus himself was responsible for his crucifixion. This is what he said. John recorded it in the 10th chapter. Jesus, words of Jesus. I lay down my life that I may take it again. He goes on to say, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. And listen to this. He goes on to say, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. <laughs> And then he says, this commandment I have received from my Father. So there was a joint responsibility. When I put, the word, when I put it as being responsible for his crucifixion, I want, to, I want you to understand when I use that word responsibility, I am saying to you that it was in a loving responsibility. It was, it was because of God took responsibility for us. And because he was willing to make a sacrifice of his own son for us. And Jesus of Nazareth was willing to be that sacrifice to pay the price for our sins that we might be reconciled to God. This is what he said in John chapter 14. That's a great chapter. Remember, remember John chapter 14 starts off with, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. You're, you're very familiar with that. You ought to read all of John chapter 14. And then as it leads into John chapter 15, you ought to read that over a few times, several times. You'll find some powerful, tremendous truth in there. And one of the things that you will find is Jesus saying this. It's recorded in verses 30 and 31. I no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He makes it clear the ruler of this world is Satan. Satan is coming to attack me. But this is what he goes on to say. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so the world may know that I love the Father. I'm going to give up my life on the cross because that's the will of the Father. 
and Satan is coming to attack me. He seeks to destroy me. He's been seeking to destroy me since before I was born in Bethlehem and since then. And he has sought to destroy me when he led me out into the wilderness. I was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But Satan came and took over to tempt me. He tried to destroy me then by bringing me down. And yet he has not been able to do it. He's not been able to do it up to this hour. He's not going to be able to do it in his attempts to destroy my life because my life is in the hands of the Father and he cannot touch me. He has no claim on me, Jesus said. And so after John chapter 14 and 15 and 16 and 17, on over to chapter 18 of John, they leave the upper room and they go into a garden for a place of prayer. It was Gethsemane. John doesn't talk about Gethsemane. He doesn't mention that. He says they went into a garden. And it was a garden that was well known to all the disciples, he says, because Jesus often went there to pray and he took his disciples with him. It was so well known to them that Judas knew where to find him. So Judas led a contingent of people in the dark under cover of night to arrest Jesus. Now, if the crowd had turned completely against Jesus, why didn't they just arrest him in the temple when he was there teaching and talking? Because the crowd would have jumped on him and probably would have destroyed him. And that's, that's what Jesus said when they came to arrest him. He said, well, why have you come to arrest me now? He said, I've been teaching, I've been teaching in the temple every day. You've seen me there teaching every day. Why did you come to arrest me tonight? He knew why. <laughs> because they didn't dare do it in the light where people wouldn't know about it. They were afraid of what would happen to him, and rightly so. So, so, it, so now when this happens, John doesn't record it, but the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do record it. He doesn't say what they did in the garden before the men came to arrest him. But the others tell what happened. was Jesus went into the depth of the garden, and he bowed down before the Father to pray. Now, he's not praying because he doesn't know the will of the Father. He is praying, and this is what the message of Gethsemane will tell you. I preached a whole message on it, so I have to just capsule it right now. But the message of Gethsemane is that Jesus was becoming sin in the hands and the eyes and the sight of the Father. He was actually being made sin in Gethsemane. So he cried out, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup? Not just the cup of dying on the cross, the cup of becoming sin. That was the horror to Jesus, that he was going to be looked upon by the Father as actually being sin. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, my heavenly Father, not my will, but your will be done. So the will of the Father was not to take the cup from him. The will of the Father was for him to go through with the sacrifice, to walk to the path along the Via Dolorosa, up to the hill of the skull, and be nailed to the cross and crucified there for our sins. That was the will of the Father. What was the will of the Son? The Son's will was whatever the Father's will is. Because you have said, Lord, this is where you want me to go. This is where I will go. When Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will, Heavenly Father, be done. He became a part of the will of of the Father. And so now he is in the garden. He's through praying. He's, he's, he's gone and he's, he's 
he has awoken his disciples because they all went to sleep. Wake up! In case you're like any of them, I don't think you are. I didn't notice anybody sleeping. That wasn't the reason I said that. I just, I, I just that's what Jesus did. He woke them up. And when they were standing there, and then, and then, the, I know if you were dozing, you'd think I was talking to you. I was not. I didn't even see you. I didn't. I don't need a preacher to do that to me. I've got a wife that helps me with that. <laughs> All right, back to what matters now. So they're standing there, and here comes Judas. He comes up, and he has told them, the one I kiss, it's dark, remember. The one I kiss is he. That's the one you want to arrest. He walked up and kissed him. And Jesus, of course, knew he was a traitor. He already known from the beginning that he was a traitor. But now the guards come up to arrest him. And that's when Jesus says, why do you arrest me here tonight? If you wanted to arrest me, why didn't you just do it in the temple? Not go through all this. The reason they didn't was because of the opinions of the multitudes that were against him. Now, they start to arrest him, and his disciples get upset. And Peter is one of those who particularly gets upset. He did that a lot. So he pulled out a sword, and he's going he's gonna to defend Jesus. You know, you don't have to defend him. You can speak for him and proclaim him and announce him. You don't have to defend him. So, so Peter took out his sword. And he swings. Now, if you, I'm, you know Peter this well, I'm sure. He was not trying to cut off the ear of Malchus, that servant of the high priest. Peter was swinging for his neck. He's trying to cut off his head. But old Malchus in the moonlight of the Passover of the Passover moon, saw that coming, and he dug just in time to, so that Peter didn't get anything but his ear. And there's a place in the scripture that says Jesus healed his ear. So he just picked it up, I guess, and dusted it off and stuck it back on him and healed him. <laughs> the Bible says he healed him. And so, and so now they're going to arrest Jesus. And, and as he's being arrested, Jesus says to his disciples, this, we don't need this defense. We don't need your swords. Put up your sword. Those who live by the sword will perish by the sword. Put your sword away. This is, now, this is what I want you to get. This is recorded in Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, verse 53. Jesus said, Do you not think that I can now pray to my Father, and He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? If I don't want to go with these guys... If I don't want to go with these, these uh, uh, Roman policemen, these Roman soldiers, these Roman guards, if I don't want to go with them, if I wanted to stop this, all I'd have to say is, Lord, send help. Father, Father. And he would send me more than 12 legions of angels to rescue me right now. Far more than you'd ever be able to do, Peter, or any of the rest of you. I don't have to die and I don't have to be arrested is what Jesus is saying. If I change my mind, the Father will honor that and He will send angels to rescue me. A Roman legion was about 6,000 soldiers. So let's see, if there were 12 legions, 6,000, that would be 72,000. If you've got a calculator, you can check me. I won't be offended. Jesus said more than 12 legions. So... 72,000 plus. But I'm going to tell you this for sure. I don't know how many there were. 
soldiers roamed there to arrest him. I don't know how many there were, and there's no record to tell us how many there were, but I know one thing, they were not enough. They were not enough. If Jesus said, I, I, I've decided not to go, and if those 72,000 plus angels had showed up, you talking about running? You talking about being afraid? You, not, not just being afraid, you talking about being scared. Good old-fashioned scared. Scared. <laughs> those Roman soldiers would have taken off running. There'd have been no fight. There'd have been no conflict. They'd have been running back to their garrison, hoping those angels wouldn't find them. It's important for you to know that Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. And this is what he says. I, and, and here's another thing. Another thing he says right there in Gethsemane. Let, let me just read it to you in, a, in another translation. I, 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 my father would send me more than 12 legions of angels. Here's what another translation says. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? Yes, he would. Yes, he would. So Jesus did not have to be arrested. He allowed himself to be taken willingly, voluntarily. They took him. They put him through a sequence of illegal trials, breaking the law of Judaism, breaking the laws of Rome. And finally, after back and forth, he wound up in the presence of Pontius Pilate, who was the Roman governor of that province. And Pilate enters into a discussion with Jesus because he wants to free him. He's trying to find a way to set him loose and not incur the wrath of the mob and, 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 and not jeopardize his own standing as the leader of the province and the representative of Rome. So there were numbers of things that they said that caused him to change and to vacillate in his opinion. But one thing he did not change. He never said he found any reason to crucify him. He never said he found any fault in him. In fact, what he said was the very opposite of that. I find no fault in him. I find no guilt in him. There's no reason to crucify him. But this is what the religious leaders said now. This is what the religious leaders said. They said, we have a law. And he has broken our law. We don't have the authority to kill anybody. That's why we're asking you to do it for us. But he's broken our law because he has made himself to be the son of God. Now, those who will say that he has never, never made an actual proclamation that he was the Son of God, there are people who will tell you that Israel is viewed differently because, and, and they really didn't reject Christ. I'm not changing now. I'm not saying they crucified him. We're talking about now spiritual rejection in a corporate way. Uh, that he never did. Well, all the religious leaders understood that he was claiming to be the Son of God. They all recognized that his, his testimony was that he's the Son of God. That's why they wanted him killed. That's why he was a threat to them. That's why they wanted him destroyed. And so before Pilate, that's what they told him. And Pilate's trying to release him. And as Pilate tries to release him, he looks for an answer. What can I do to get this man set free? He offers them, uh, offers them Jesus or Barabbas, thinking surely they would take this Nazarene over this insurrectionist and over this killer and robber baron, Barabbas. But no. The mob cries out for Barabbas. Again, it was a mob mentality instigated by the high priest and his cohorts. So they cry out for Jesus to be crucified. And, and, and Pilate, believing that's the will of the people, is strongly swayed by that. But now he comes to Jesus. And Jesus has not answered Pilate in anything he's asking. Now he says, won't you speak to me? Do you not know? This is what's important right here. Pilate talking to Jesus says, 
do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? I have the power, the authority of your life and death in my hands, and won't you give me an answer? And what does Jesus say? This is what he says. John chapter 19, verse 11. This is what Jesus said. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. You, you can't crucify me unless the Father's willing for me to be crucified. You can't crucify me unless I'm willing to go to the cross. Because you don't have the power to do it. You don't have the authority to do it. You may have all the authority of Rome behind you. And all the Roman soldiers in this providence, province may be under your command and under your orders. But you don't have enough soldiers to crucify me. You don't have enough power of Rome to crucify me. You can't do it unless my Father is willing for me to be crucified. You can't do it unless I'm willing to go to the cross and pay that price. You can't do it because you don't have the authority. The only way you have any authority is not because of Rome and not because of these religious leaders and not because of the mob they fomented against me. The only reason you have any authority is because that authority has been delegated to you by God the Father. And without that you can't do anything and because of that I am willing to walk in the will of my Father and surrender myself to sacrifice for sins of the world on the cross. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what He knows He's doing. There are people who I, I've been told that there are people today who are saying that Calvary was a defeat for Jesus. I guess if you just looked at it superficially, you could maybe think of it that way. I don't think that's correct. I don't think Jesus ever failed in anything he did. I'll just drop this extra in for you. I don't think Jesus fell under the cross when he was carrying the cross. They made him carry his cross all the way. to. You can't show me anywhere in the Bible it says he fell. What makes us think that is that they took his cross and put it on the shoulders of Simon of Cyrene. But it doesn't say Jesus fell. It just says they took the cross and put it on him. Maybe they thought he was going to fall. Maybe they thought he was too weak. I don't know what they thought. But they didn't take it because he fell, at least according to the Scriptures. The Scripture doesn't say that he fell. I don't believe he did. Because I don't believe Jesus failed in anything he ever set out to do. And I don't believe the cross was a defeat. When you are following the plan of God and doing exactly the perfect will of God, how can that be a defeat? It may have been a victory in the eyes of the devil, and he may have thought that it was a defeat of the plan of God. I have no doubt that he did. Even though God had told him all the way back in the Garden of Eden, you'll bruise my servant's heel, but he'll crush your head. I'm not saying the devil ever understood that. Amen. I don't know that he understood the prophecies. He probably thought he had won a victory. That's all right. It was a short-lived belief. It didn't last long. Just lasted that Friday until early the first day of the week, Sunday morning, when Jesus walked out of the tomb. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So Calvary is not a defeat. In no sense of the word is Calvary a defeat. Calvary is the fulfillment of the plan of God. Calvary is the declaration of God's salvation. Jesus hung on the cross with a thief on either side of him. One thief berailed him and cried out against him. The other one said, we deserve what we're getting, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now you tell me how this is a defeat now. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now Jesus is there dying. 
He cries out. There's great conflict. He cries out while on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you see, Jesus is man as well as God. So as man, he cries out, why have you forsaken me? As God, he looks over to that thief and says, Today you will be with me in paradise. (laughs) Hallelujah. Glory to God. There's victory. There's victory in the cross. And our victory in Jesus is in the cross. And we stand upon that, that old rugged cross and the message of that cross to live in the glory of God and the victory of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I love the songs about the cross. You know probably the best known one of all on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. And I love the song that was written by John Bowring who said, In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time. All the light of sacred story gathers round its head supply. Perish every fond ambition, all I've hoped and sought and known. Yet how rich is my condition. God and heaven are still my own. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Over and over and over. We've sung songs about the cross and the power of the cross. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Hallelujah. 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 And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Do you remember this? Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain, free to all, a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross, a trembling soul Love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds his beams around me. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever. Till I reach that golden strip just beyond the river. Till I reach that golden strand where Don Barry is dancing today in victory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Till I reach that golden strand which God Himself has prepared for those who love Him. 
Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Is what Jesus started out teaching in the upper room. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring it seems before me. Help me walk from day to day with the shadows over me. In the shadow of the cross. Stand with me, please. In the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall rest beyond the river. Rest. Bow with me in prayer, please. Just bow with me in prayer for a moment.